Well, it's going to be a good one today. The dragon, the antichrist, the mark of the beast, whole lot of crazy stuff happening in Revelation 12 and 13. And see, so chapter 12, this begins the middle section of Revelation that really describes this cosmic battle between God and the forces of evil. And, and so this got me thinking a lot about how to defeat an enemy. So this immediately took me back to my water polo days. I was a water polo coach. I played in high school, a little in college, and then I coached when I was teaching. And, and it reminded me of my most ambitious strategy ever as a water polo coach. See, we were, we were one win away from making it to the playoffs. First time in, in our program's history. And, and we were just one win away. And the other team had one more game to play before we faced them. So I came up with an idea. I would go and I would scout the team. So I, I brought my video camera, my notebook, sat down at the pool deck, videoed and wrote things down, down the whole time. Wrote, scribble, scribble. And by the end of the game, I had it. I knew how we could beat them. So I went back. We, we, we had a team huddle and, and got all the girls in front and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Well, I, we, we can beat this team. Number, and I went through everything. Okay, number four is their fastest. Hang back on defense. Number 12 is their strongest shooter. Play tight on her. Okay, number nine, if you get her, shoot, because she's not very good on defense. And I went through the whole lineup. I had all of their players plugged. And so I walked into that game pretty confident that we could take them. And then as the two teams lined up before the game, I looked and I noticed something horrifying. They had all changed numbers. My entire plan was ruined. I immediately went from Batman to Robin. Well, we lost the game by one point. The girls fought hard. We did our best to adapt. But we ended up not winning the game. And so, so it really it, it taught me an important lesson. It's not good enough to just have a strategy. You have to have a strategy that will work. And so when it comes to battling evil, what strategy will work? See, our world has a lot of different views of evil. Evil is individual and personal. Evil is systemic and societal. Evil is spiritual. Evil is part of the balance of the universe. See, there's no shortage of views and ideas on evil. But what would actually work addressing and defeating evil? Well, Revelation 12 and 13 answers that question possibly better than any other part in Scripture. And before we dive into the text here, I want to introduce you to the players. Okay, so think of this as the ultimate street fighter battle. We have a mother who is pregnant with a child. And then on the other side, we have a dragon, a sea beast, and a land beast. See, these three, the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast, they represent an unholy trinity. An anti-trinity of sorts. And they stand in opposition 
to the true Trinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But regardless, this does not look good. See, a pregnant mom versus three monster beasts. Like, dude, you might as well just advance to the death, the defeat screen, because this thing is done. Or not. So let's see what it says. Starting in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So, we have this celestial woman, and then this seven-headed dragon poised to eat the child the moment it's born. Don't dwell too much on that image because that is just freaky. We'll just let that be. Okay? But God saves the child, swoops him up, and protects the mother. Now see, John says that the woman, child, and dragon are all symbols. They're signs. They represent something else. So what do they represent? Well, the child is Jesus. So this child, he is the only one that holds the iron scepter like a king, but is taken up to God's throne like a divine Messiah. Next is the woman. Now most, most Catholics will say this is Mary. Makes sense. She is the mother of Jesus. But remember that Revelation draws very heavily on the Old Testament, not so much on the New Testament. So if there is an Old Testament explanation of one of the symbols, one of the images from Revelation, we should pay attention to that. And sure enough, there is. In fact, the nation of Israel is actually described multiple times in the Old Testament as a pregnant mother. So the the hearers of this, of the book of Revelation, would have known exactly what that meant. Because and the nation of Israel as a pregnant mother is because back then the nation was foreshadowed as giving birth to the Messiah. And we now know the nation of Israel did give birth to the Messiah Jesus, the root of David from the tribe of Judah. So next up is the dragon. Well, thankfully, John explains this symbol just a couple of verses later. Here's what he says. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. The dragon represents Satan. And then the rest of chapter 12 describes, it tells of two great battles. So first there was a war in heaven. 
That was between the archangel Michael and his angels, and then the dragon Satan and the, his angels, his evil spirits. Satan was defeated, and he was cast down to earth. That creates the second war. That's the war on earth. And this time, the woman Israel and the child Jesus are rescued by God once again. And then this happens. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. That's us. That's believers. That's Christians. That's the church. So Satan waged war against the church. So, how do believers battle this dragon? How do we do that? Well, in these two chapters, we're going to see five answers to that question. And I'm calling it our playbook for resisting evil. And trust me, this one's much better than my playbook for winning water polo games. This is the playbook for resisting evil. And we're going to find five strategies in, the next, in these two chapters. So, now, why do we need a playbook for resisting evil? Well, quite frankly, because a lot of Christians spend way too much time trying to identify evil and not enough try, time trying to resist evil. Who's the Antichrist? What's the mark of the beast? How about instead, we learn how God has supernaturally empowered us to resist evil? That's what I want to focus on today. So, after Satan is defeated in heaven, the angels sing a hymn of praise. And, and that hymn contains this line about believers and Satan. Here's what it says. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So here we get our first two strategies in our playbook. The finished work of Jesus and your testimony. See, we are not told to defeat the devil. Our job is to return again and again to the source of our victory. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God on the cross. Our primary strategy in spiritual warfare must be to rely on the centrality of the cross and rest in Christ's finished work. So how do you know you're doing this? How do you know you are relying on the centrality of the cross? How do you know that you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus? You have a story to tell. You have a testimony. That's all a testimony is. It's, it's speaking about it's a story. It's your story about Jesus in your life. And if, you're, if you don't think you really have a story, then maybe that means you're not fully trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Because if you do, and if you have, that means you have a testimony. 
And somehow, your testimony, saying your testimony, sharing it, that helps you resist evil. Because it reminds you and it reminds others of the power of God. That's what your testimony does. It reminds you and reminds others of the power of God. So we can resist evil. Now let's move to 13. We're taking this pretty fast because there's a lot to cover. And I, I'm not even covering everything. This is a pretty high level view of 12 and 13. There's a whole lot more that could be said with all of this. But let's jump to 13. Now, here we're first introduced to the beast of the sea. Here's what it says. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on its, on its horns. And each head had a blasphemous name. There was a blasphemous name across each head. See, these are all kingly images. We've seen images like this before. This is how God was described and the Lamb was described. But these are all distorted. They're blasphemous. It's like the upside down in Stranger Things. It's the same, but it's twisted and evil and corrupted. That's why it's so significant that, that this sea beast had blasphemous names on its forehead. See, this beast is the opposite of Christ. It's the anti-lamb. It's still, and the next few verses, here's what it describes. It's filled with pride. It spews blasphemous words, unholy words. He wages war against believers, even killing them. But people follow him because of his power and authority. They even worship him. They worship this beast, saying, who is like the beast? That's what the angels were saying about the lamb. He even has a mortal head wound that looks like it was healed. This is an anti-resurrection. It's, a, it's sort of a mockery of Jesus' death and resurrection. A, a, a fatal wound that looks like it was healed. So he, he's this anti-lamb has an anti-resurrection. See, everything about this beast is anti-lamb or anti-Christ. In fact, this beast is representative of the Antichrist. Now, in Scripture, there are lots, there are actually numerous Antichrists that are spoken of and predicted. But this one in Revelation is different. And see, Revelation never actually uses the word Antichrist. But if you compare this description in chapter 13 with other descriptions, it's a pretty safe conclusion to come to. Because the descriptions match. See, this Antichrist is against everything about Jesus and everything about the church. And people around the world follow him and worship him. Except some. Verse 8 says this. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, 
all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. In the face of evil, persecution, even death, here's what God says to the church. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So this gives us two more strategies for our playbook. Patient endurance and faithfulness during suffering. Patient endurance. We've read that we've read the end of the book. God wins. We need patient endurance. And we will suffer. We will endure hardship. And it's really easy to give up. In fact, some of you, some of you, Hmong have probably known families that are shamans, and and the shaman uh, ceremonies don't work. So they go, okay, well, we'll we'll become Christians, and the pastor will pray for our daughter to get well, and they become Christians, and the daughter doesn't get well, and so they say, well, Christianity doesn't work. Let's go back to being shamans. When we when we in, endure suffering. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose faith. But God is calling that as a continuous refrain through the book of Revelation is faithfulness during suffering. Patient endurance. Two more strategies for resisting evil. In other words, don't give up. You will encounter Suffering, sorrow, sickness. But the entire book of Revelation calls you to be faithful and endure. Next up, we meet the beast from the land. Here's what it says. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It performed great signs. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. So here we have another anti-lamb. It had horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Which, if you've watched the Hobbit movies, you know is Benedict Cumberbatch. So apparently all dragons sound like Benedict Cumberbatch. But we have another anti-lamb here. And, and this lamb, this beast... This anti-lamb set up an idol to the first beast. And he even made it come alive. And people worshipped this idol to worship the first beast, the Antichrist. And people were forced to worship. Some were even executed. Now here's where it gets interesting though. Starting verse 16. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is six. 
So here we have possibly the most notorious number in human history. 666. So let's talk about the mark of the beast and the number of the beast. You can't do chapter 13 without diving into this. So, what does 666 mean? Well, we heard in, in the video, there's a numerical transliteration from Hebrew. And so it was very clear that John, the writer of, of, um, of Revelation, was talking about the Nero, the emperor. But that's not all he was talking about. See, if you remember, Revelation uses numbers symbolically. Six represents sin. Seven represents, represents divine perfection. So 777 is the most perfect perfect. And 666 is the most evil evil. This number literally is an anti-God. And it fits these chapters. We've seen an anti-trinity an anti-lamb, anti-resurrection, an anti-Christ, and now this is an anti-God as a number. Now, throughout history, there have been a lot of attempts to assign 666 to everybody from popes to presidents. And there is no shortage of images out there and YouTubers and social media memes to try to convince you that this person is the Antichrist. But, to be honest, all of that, in my opinion, is unimportant. Because Christians spend way too much time trying to identify evil, and not nearly enough time trying to understand how to resist evil. So, what is this mark of the beast? Okay? If you Google this, you will find countless YouTube Christians out there and countless Facebook memes telling you what the mark of the beast is. And I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. They are ridiculous. Okay? They are completely wrong. See, first century Christians would have had no question about what this is. Because if they knew their Old Testament, they knew the Shema. So I'll start by telling you what the mark of the beast is not. It is not an RFID chip implanted in your hand for digital payments. No. It is not Bill Gates and 5G wireless. And it is not the COVID vaccine. All of these are absurd. And please, if you have believed this, or if you do, please, you could not be more wrong. Do not read, watch, or believe any of this garbage. Because they are lies. And they're terrible biblical interpretation also. Right? That's not how good and evil work in Scripture. It's not, like, it's not like the devil is just sitting back going, Ha! You got the vaccine! You're a Satanist now! That's not how this works. 
See, the reason these are so ludicrous is the answer is so obvious. It's right there in Scripture. We read it. It's the most important passage in the entire Old Testament. Possibly the entire Bible. It's the Shema. So this verse is the anti-Shema. Listen to sections of it again. Love the Lord your God. These commandments I give you, tie them on symbols on your hands. Bind them to your forehead. Sound familiar? See, this is the same as the mark of the beast. The hand and the forehead. To represent your actions and your thoughts. This is the anti-Shema. See, the mark of the beast is not some secret conspiracy to trick Christians into worshiping Satan. But if you watch some people on YouTube and watch some protests of Christian against masks or the vaccine, that's exactly what they're saying. That Christ followers can get tricked into becoming Satanists and devil worshippers. No. The Shema is a prayer of trust and allegiance. The mark of the beast is a mark of trust and allegiance. It is a choice. It is a decision. It's not a trick. And and this choice of allegiance, this choice of trust, it's a choice of who will you follow. Now, if I say, who will you follow, God or Satan? That sounds like one of those terrible Facebook memes of like Jesus and Satan arm wrestling, looking like Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, that's ridiculous also. Don't even even look at that stuff. That's not what this is. This choice sounds familiar. If I say, choose God or Satan. But this sounds like such an obvious question, but it's actually not. Remember, in this chapter, the beast amasses a giant following, a global following of people that adore the beast, the Antichrist. This is not a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and a little pointy tail. No, this is a person who is a deceiver and a manipulator. And that's what evil is. Evil is deceptive and manipulative. That's why this passage calls for disencouragement. To say, this calls for wisdom. And that's our last strategy for resisting evil. Wisdom to defy deception. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here. This is a strategy that Christians right now in America desperately need. These Christians are failing in the area of wisdom. Do you know that on social media, evangelical Christians are the most gullible of any subgroup? In fact, evangelical Christians are so gullible, Russian spam bots 
created the majority of the top ten Christian sites on Facebook and filled them with Christian propaganda because they knew Christians in America were not wise. They would believe anything that triggered us. The most gullible group on social media. Also, did you know that Christians are the most the most common subgroup to believe in conspiracy theories. And you've heard these things. These are ridiculous. And who are the most gullible to believe in conspiracy theories? Evangelical Christians. That's an embarrassment. In the scriptures that are filled with calls for wisdom, evangelical Christianity here in America is at possibly its most unwise it's ever been. We need wisdom to defy deception. Because the American evangelical church is being deceived worse than almost any group in America. The church needs wisdom. You need wisdom. Because the lies you are, that you are believing are destroying you from the inside out. Even if it's not stuff as ridiculous as conspiracy theories and flat earth and fake the moon landing and all of that. But there are lies that you believe. There are lies that I believe. And they are eating us up from the inside out. We need wisdom to defy deception. Now, more than ever. This choice of allegiance, the lamb or the beast, this isn't just something that will happen at the end times. This is a decision that you make every day. You wake up and you choose whose mark you're going to take. Will you be sealed by God? Or you'll be sealed by evil? What will you place on your forehead? What will govern your thoughts? Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Those are the marks Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it looks like to be marked by God in your thoughts. Or will it be selfishness and fear and self-preservation and control and jealousy and greed? That's what it looks like to be marked by Satan, by evil. What's going to drive your thoughts today? Tomorrow, how about your hand? What are you going to mark your hand with? Your actions. Will your actions bless others or build your own kingdom? Will your actions sacrifice or protect? Will your actions love Difficult people. Or love your own. 
What are you going to mark on your hand? What are you going to mark on your forehead? That's a decision we make every day. Every minute of every day. And that's what I think is way more important than this person's the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist. This is the mark of the beast. Because that is a micro-decision we make every single day. Who do you trust? Who do you follow? What is marked on your head to drive your thoughts? And what is marked on your hand to drive your actions? Resist evil. Trust the Lamb. He is the only one worthy. Join me in prayer. God, we recognize you are the only one worthy of our allegiance. God, help us drive our thoughts and our actions to follow you, to build your kingdom, not our own. Help us love. Help us forgive. Help us build up instead of tear down. God, in all of this, help us by your power resist evil. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it by our own strength. God, we need your supernatural empowerment. We need the Lamb. Help us trust wholeheartedly. Put everything we have to trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And let us live out of an abundance of faith in you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lamb. Amen.